phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello, and welcome back to Federation Radio once again. So it's been a little bit since I recorded, but uh, that's alright. I recorded a bunch of episodes. I think last time I did like 10 in a row or something, but... Today we continue with the game of Triskelion. Well, we start today with the game of Triskelion, which is a kind of cool little episode. Honestly, I don't have that much to say about this one because it was very basic, but it's pretty good. Like, this one's one of those nothing special but nothing terrible episodes, just sort of sits in the middle. So... It starts off with, I have to say, a bit of a strange pairing, or grouping, of uh, Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov, which I feel like is a, a trio that we don't often see together doing much of anything. But apparently they're going to beam down, and I'll be honest, I wasn't paying that much attention to what they were beaming down to. It was some planet, and they were going to go look at something or talk to someone. But it doesn't matter, because they step on the transporter pad, and as Scotty's about to beam them, a bright light goes off, and they're gone. And Scotty quickly realises he never hit the transporter button. They haven't transported. He tries double-checking all his machines to see if there was any issues. He then, of course, runs straight back to the bridge where Spock's in charge and says, They've just vanished. <laughs> they stepped on the transporter pad and they vanished. And he's like, I assume you mean Mr. Scott in a way that they're not usually going to vanish off that pad. Which, of course, you know, you got to get that Spock sarcasm in there somewhere. But yes, they've gone missing, and he doesn't know where. They start scanning the planet, and they can't find them. They just can't seem to find any trace of them. Now, they continue scanning, and later on, I'll say they do end up picking up an energy signature in, like, a system away that does seem to be, as they describe it, something that's, like, man-made. It's not a natural signature, but they're not sure what it is. So they end up following that, and it takes them a while, because wherever they've been transported to is at least quite a few systems away from where they were, which is, as they point out, much, much more than the transporter can do. Although, I will say, in Star Trek, there are quite a few episodes here and there, well, there's a couple, about people trying to augment the transporters and make them better. I know in Voyager, there's a species we meet that has like a really, really large transporter, but it's almost more like a, um, it is a transporter, but it's almost more like a Stargate because it connects to one other world where they have another one of these that's quite a long, long way away and they're interconnected. So we hear about that one. I think in Enterprise, there's this black dude, this scientist that's like trying to make the transporter basically make starships irrelevant is his goal. His life's work has been to try and make it so that you could just transport from the world you're on to a different world and not need ships at all. Now, I think, yeah, I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure somewhere in Next Gen there's another episode where they do something similar. It doesn't really matter, but, like, yeah, there's a couple episodes where this sort of storyline around the transporter comes up because, well, the transporter's cool. It's a teleportation device. I don't blame the writers at all for wanting to play with it a little more here and there. But this episode, we don't actually learn how they transported them. There's a bright light, and we're left to presume that it's some kind of really high-tech transporter. But we never really get details on it, nor do we see it. They arrive in what looks like a gladiatorial arena. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, so they arrive in what looks like a gladiatorial arena, and they are immediately surrounded by people. These guys come out looking like barbarians with these weird necklaces on. 
They go to, you know, back to back with the phasers out. They go to shoot, and the phasers don't work. That is also not explained why the phasers don't work. I presume there's some kind of EMP field or something stopping tech that comes through from functioning. I don't really know, but anyway, it's it's interesting. So they get captured. Now, there's actually a rather dark scene, like not long after this, where Uhura nearly gets raped. Even watching it, I was like, oh, this is... I wouldn't have put this on TV in the 60s. I wouldn't have presumed that was the case, that they were just doing this sort of thing on, you know, daytime sci-fi shows like Star Trek, which at the time was not grim dark whatsoever. It wasn't trying to do these super serious stories. As you've seen in most of these stories, they're usually just little social dramas here and there, a little bit of sci-fi flashes, nothing overly dark. They don't often, other than in like an episode or two, like the one I do recall with the torture doctor in the prison colony, but like, there's not many of those, so it is rare, and there's always something inherently grotesque about sexual violence, there's just something to it that is almost sexual violence, and I think medical violence to me are the two that do get a reaction out of me. There's most other violence, torture, like, yeah, it's all horrible, but it's, you read about it all the time, it's not that unusual, but that stuff, I don't know, it hits me on a different level, I, I don't like it, it makes me very, very uncomfortable. And now I will say she doesn't actually get raped. It just appears that that's what was being like intended. Like that's because we get they're all in their cells, right? So the three of them get captured: Kirk, Uhura, and Chekhov. And they've all been brought to these cells, which, funny enough, have bright pink bars, which made me laugh because I don't know why those bars were probably a set they had from another movie or thing that they had to do at some point, and they just never painted it. But it made me laugh the big pink bars. <laughs> And straight after that, we see this dude walk in, and he's huge, he's like six foot something, he's this really big guy, like taller than Kirk, he's big enough that he makes them all look quite a bit shorter. And he walks directly to Uhura's cell, and she's backing away from the cell, like what the hell's going on, and he goes in. Now at first Kirk's like one arm through the cell yelling, what are you going to do to her, leave her alone, you know, trying to be the captain, trying to protect his people. This guy goes in, and we don't actually get to see what happens. We see him walking towards her, and we see her looking really scared, and then she backs off sort of in a way where the camera angle doesn't show it. It's like she's around the corner in the cell. I think they're trying to depict it from, like, Kirk's point of view. So what he would have seen was her backing up looking scared, and then this big dude following her. Then you hear a lot of crashing of, like, he had a metal tray with some kind of jug in it. I still don't know what it is. I don't know if that was meant to be, like, just water or a drink, or if that's something else maybe it's alcohol to make the thralls more likely to do the deed i'm not really sure exactly what the intention was or what they were trying to do there but whatever it was you hear it clatter on the floor you hear it flying around and you hear her saying leave me alone do not touch me and she's like screaming and she does a really good job i'll say as an actress like she really puts forward through her voice that you can't see her but you can hear she's extremely distressed and it's well done and Kirk is just losing it. He's one arm out the bars, like I said. Like, if he had the strength, he would have been pulling that entire wall down. He is throwing himself through it, trying his best, but he can't move. Now, after a few seconds of this, we see another woman come. She's, you know, quite pretty, and she stands in front of Kirk's cell, looking like, I have to say, she looks like just a tall Loompa Loompa. I don't know what they were thinking when they gave the makeup to these women, but, or this woman at least. 
because she's got like orange skin, green hair, and bright yellow earrings. I'm just like, are you trying to be a really tall Oompa Loompa? Because that's what they've made you look like. But you know, she's pretty. She's standing in front of Kirk's bay, and he just ignores her outright. He's yelling at her like, what are they doing to Ohura? Where is she? What are they doing? He's just like losing it. And then we see the dude from Ohura's cell come back out of her cell, and she's seen through the bars like, Holding her dress together, like, I don't think she's actually had her clothes ripped off, but you can tell, like, that's the implied he was trying to. And he basically says, thralls are not allowed to deny. He says, you will learn, and then he slams her door and walks off. Now, we get a much nicer conversation between Kirk and Shana, who is the um, instructor that he is provided. And we get a much funnier and shorter one from Chekhov, who gets this chick... I don't actually think they gave her a name. Maybe they did. I don't remember. I didn't write it down because it's such an unimportant character other than this like three-second scene. You never see her again. Or you never get a line from her again. She sits down, and I'm still not sure exactly what they were trying to imply with this character. Like, I get it's funny because it makes Chekhov so uncomfortable. Because, you know, he's just seen what he assumes is an attempted rape on Uhura. So he probably assumes the same thing is going to happen to them. Kirk gets this beautiful woman that walks in. And he's like, oh, okay. And his woman comes. And she's... I don't... I don't know. Like, I think the joke is they were trying to make her very manly. Either that or it is a man with fake boobs under the uniform. Because they're trying to, like, do the joke that it's... They're so ugly. <laughs> Chekhov's, like, to the side. And he's like, oh, nice to meet you. And he's, like, hesitating. Ma'am, even the like subtitles are like question mark because he's really not sure and he's scared that he's about to be raped by he doesn't even know what. It's so clear that he's like not attracted and he's creeped out by it. He doesn't know what the hell to do, and it's kind of funny. I like seeing Chekhov really like super nervous and a little scared. It's he's he plays it up really well. It's funny though because this person admittedly seems nice. They're you know. Just sitting on his arm, she's doing the whole chikuf. <laughs> she can't say his name properly, but finds his name funny. And that's it. That's, that's all they get, really. Then it skips to Kirk having a bit more of a conversation with Shana. And she talks about how they're all brought here from parts of the galaxy by some of these people called the Providers, who apparently like to gamble on the matches. They like to make them fight and do challenges, and they gamble. Because I, I guess they're interested in that type of thing. So basically, this is a gladiator pit in space. Oh, and it just hit me that actually there's an episode very similar to this in Voyager with, funny enough, it's the episode where The Rock is in Star, uh, Star Trek, which uh, we'll get to that in a long time, but I look forward to that. That's a fucking funny episode. And I'll say off the top of my head, I think I liked that one better than Game of Triskelion, but this is also, keep in mind, the original series is the 60s. It's I didn't grow up in the 60s, so a lot of the references and hairstyle, all of it comes off as very odd to me. I do still enjoy the stories, but there is a lot of just, I can't enjoy it as much as I do some of the later stuff. Not so much the newer stuff, but some of the middle stuff, I should say. Typical millennial syndrome. I like things from my childhood, and around there, they're awesome. Everything new is weird Gen Z stuff, and everything old is boomer crap. <laughs> like a typical millennial. But anyway... So he finds out all of this, and he's trying to explain to her how, you know, how people would call that slavery. 
and she doesn't even understand what slavery is, and we get the feeling that, like, she was either born here from other thralls, or she was taken very young, because she's very naive. She doesn't even understand what the word planet means, which, you know, gives you that real, she was probably born here. She probably has no idea, and this is all she's ever known. Now, of course, they go for a walk, and, you know, she falls in love with Kirk, because of course she does. What beautiful alien doesn't fall in love with Kirk? That's standard storytelling when Kirk's on screen. <laughs> Which, I say that, I mean, that's mostly a community joke. I don't, there are quite a few women with Kirk, but at the same time, there's not as many as people make out with the stereotype. Like, I'm pretty convinced some of the other captains actually have more partners than he does. I could be wrong. In my mind, I actually have this weird, I was thinking about it during the episode, which captain gets with more people, and I'm split. I actually think it might be Picard, because Picard, although he shows the least amount of interest in partners or families or anything to do with people, I feel like I remember a lot of women hitting on him. He gets a lot of attention from women for the short, bald captain. I mean, we'll see as we go forward. Which one does, but like, yeah, it's just a weird thought I had of like, of the captains, Kirk is the one that's known to be the sexual deviant, or at least that's how he's depicted. But at the same time, I don't think he is. I actually think it might be Picard. But anyway, so they get this whole sad story, and she falls in love with him, and she tells him some stuff about them, about how the providers did have bodies once, and Kirk starts asking questions about like, there's ruins around us, old buildings. Did this place ever have a name? Like, He's doing the proper Starfleet, like, this place looks like a civilization was here. Are the providers what's left of them? Or are they what killed it off? Like, what are they? Do they have bodies? Are they machines? And she starts to answer some of his questions. And then we see, because we saw earlier as well, like, like I said, they were given necklaces. These weird, like, well, collars more than necklaces. We don't know what they do, but they start to glow. There's these, like, triangular parts on them that start to glow different colors. And when they glow, it's just giving you pain. We don't get an exact description of what they do, but it seems like it's just firing off all the nerves to give you pain through your whole body. It's just a torture device. And because Kirk's asking questions, they decide to punish Shana to uh, hurt him because, you know, they're watching and they've realized he's a guy, the kind of guy that wants to take pain for others. So how do you make someone like that suffer? You don't torture them. You torture people they care about in front of them. And you'll give them no choice to do anything about it. It's harsh, but it's always effective on that type of personality. And it does work. <laughs> Kirk agrees he'll fight if they stop and leave her alone after yelling about how, you know, let him take the pain, but they won't give it to him. And then we go back. So after that walk, they go back to their cells, and then there's actually a gladiator ring. Now, like I said, in between these scenes, it sounds like we're getting a lot of just Kirk. Like, all this is happening, but they are interchanging. Keep in mind the scenes from here to the ship. Where, of course, Scotty, McCoy, and, um, why can't I think of him? Spock are all together following this energy signal. Now, Scotty and McCoy at one point actually get annoyed at Spock, and they start coming at him about how you got us on a wild goose chase chasing an energy signal. The captain went missing in that system, and we're leaving him further behind. We should be there scanning. And Spock explains, you know, in the very Spock way, he does not follow hunches. This is not an assumption. He said, nothing is wrong with our machinery. We've double-checked it. We've scanned the planet. He wasn't on the planet he was supposed to be. He was never actually transported by our transporters. And an energy signal showed up at the exact same time that he went missing. 
The computers cannot analyze the energy. We don't know exactly what it's from or what system is using it or any particular species. He says, this is not a hunch. This is the logical approach with the few bits of data that we actually have to go on. And I agree with him. In his position, you know, I guess that's the only thing you can do. And he's right, of course. They are approaching the planet that Kirk is on quite quickly at this point. They're following the signal. They don't yet realize where they're headed, but they're getting close. Now, the next day, we actually get to see a bit of the Gladiator Pit. and It's kind of brutal. We get a fight between all of them. And then, as they're all, like, well, they're not fighting. They're practicing. Like, they're each with their instructor, and they're, like, being taught how the weapons work, and they're training. Getting ready for the games. And then this dude comes out, this black dude, who we hadn't seen up until now, and he also has a collar on. Oh, I should also mention throughout all this, it's not just the instructors. There is another dude who is bald and has this weird cloak that, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, a vampire or something. And he calls himself the Game Master, but we see he is also wearing the Thrall-like collar. So he is a servant of the Providers, but he's, like, the head servant. So he gets to give orders and apparently has the power, because his eyes go funny, and then other people's collars hurt, so he can punish you. So he's, like, the head slave, I guess you could say. So he's the Game Master, and his job's to run it. And he comes back out with this black dude, who we've never seen before. And says, this thrall failed to entertain the providers. That is against the rules. You will all hit him every time you pass him in the field. You will hit him, or you will be punished. Now, of course, Uhura is the one that's chosen first. Like, hit him. And she's got a bladed weapon and, like, being told, hit this man. And she just says, no, I'm not hitting this man. Fair enough. He's an innocent man. He, she doesn't know him. He's, she doesn't want to hit him with a blade. And at that point, Kirk steps forward and says, none of us will hit him. At which point, the providers actually speak up. Now, this is the first time we get to hear from them directly. And then we hear that there are three different voices, providers one, two, and three. They're called that because they provide everything you need, your food, your sustenance, your weapons, everything like that. But then we hear them betting. They come in and they start putting money down, something called quiptillions or quiptillions or something. It doesn't really matter because... It's a currency that I don't think ever comes up again, nor do we ever see what it looks like. It's just the stand-in currency for the evil slave lords that want to gamble. Now, they're fighting. So, sorry, they refuse to hit this dude. Kirk is then told by the providers, we're going to make an example of you. You're going to have a fight. And they select a really big dude, a, like, seven-foot-tall dude. He's wearing, like, furs, like... You really get the idea. He's meant to be an alien, but he just looks like a human. I think it's just budget issues, but he just looks like a really, really tall barbarian. And he comes in and to fight Kirk, who not only has to fight him, but Kirk then has his hands tied behind his back. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, people. Uh, Kirk has his arms behind his back in, like, not quite shackles. It's more like a bit of rope or something is tied between them. Because he manages to, throughout the fight, sort of knock this guy over and then, like, lower he curls himself up as he jumps on the ground to get his arms with this rope between them around his feet so he can get his arms out in front of him instead of behind it's pretty cool it's kind of cool seeing you know kirk getting to have an actual one-on-one -on -one with an alien I, I do love watching kirk do his hand-to-hand -hand combat and he manages to win he manages to like knock this guy to the ground with a jump kick and then he jumps on his back and gets that rope from his hands and starts strangling him by the throat which is the you can't really do much else, but it's very typical. Like, a lot of movies and shows do this with the whole, 
managing to get your shackles and use them as a weapon against your captors. Now, right as he's about to kill this guy, he's choking him out and he's on the ground passing out. The providers say, enough, and Kirk lets go. Now, at this point, Kirk basically calls out the providers and says that you're nothing but cowards. I wish to see who you are. Now, one of the providers who is red, right, you know, decides he is going to buy them. They have a bidding war. He's buying all the new ones. So all of Chekhov, Uhura, and Kirk's little triangle pieces on their collars suddenly go red. Because Red Provider has bought them, I guess. Kirk demands to see the providers, like I said, and they do take him there. Now, he finds that the providers are actually just three little brains sitting inside what looks like a circle dome of glass. And apparently they tell Kirk that once upon a time they had bodies like like us humans, and they view us as interesting sport, and apparently... They developed and evolved over time through intellectual pursuits to just basically turn themselves into brains that I couldn't tell. Like, their brains are sitting on top of these circular things, and I couldn't tell whether that was trying to imply that they're like brains plugged into a computer system to have all this power, or whether they're more like telepathic or telekinetic aliens that are just using their mind power and that's just how they sit on like a stand. I personally took it as the brains are plugged into the computer because intellectually this is the best way to use their power and they believe they are long past the need for a body, I guess. Now, they have a bit of a back and forth. Kirk calls them out as cowards and says what they're doing is stupid. And basically it comes down to... Kirk comes up with this plan. He has literally a light bulb moment when they're talking about how they love gambling and gambling is the ultimate intellectual pursuit because there's no way to truly understand what the result will be until it happens. And therefore, that's what they do now. They just live their entire existence on these betting games, these game masters. Like, they run thralls and slaves, and they talk about their thralls as a herd. How sometimes the herd thins, and they are forced to get the herd to breed. You know, because we've had offhanded comments from Shana and the others throughout all this about how sometimes the herd will be expanded. So there's a decent amount of slaves. They do kidnap some, and they interbreed them to get more, and they make them fight. They are literally just slave masters fighting in a gladiatorial pit. But Kirk comes up with the idea to bluff them. Says, I bet you this. He says, my people will never work with you. We will all have to be disposed of if you try and force us into the games. We will not comply. But if you agree to my bet, then we will. And they ask what that is, and he says, I will fight in a match for you. If I win, then the Enterprise and all of your thralls have to be freed. The Enterprise and my people are free to go, and you will have to put yourselves forward for the next few centuries for helping the, what does he call it? The intellectual development of these people. Basically challenges them to train the thralls into a civilization that can hit the stars. If he wins... If he loses, he says he will command his entire crew to destroy the Enterprise and all of the people will come down here and fight with all of their competitive spirit for the rest of their days for the Providers. So the Providers are left with basically double or nothing. Do we expand our herd massively and get these very strong-willed humans and other like Enterprise people down here to fight for us, which, from their point of view, very entertaining? Or do we just destroy them and waste it? Now, they th- they say to Kirk, we accept your terms, however, you should know the match is going to be interesting. You are a strong competitor, with a strong sense of will. We're going to have it be a three-on-one. 
kind of rolls his eyes and he's like, well, that doesn't sound overly fair, but if that's what it is, that's what it is. I don't have much choice. And then he gets teleported back to the gladiatorial pit. Now, at this point, the Enterprise does actually arrive. And Spock is about to go down solo because he says, no, we don't know what's going on. I don't want to attack them with a big group of people. And he tells Scotty, you're in charge until I get back. I'm going to try and make contact. And if I can't make contact, I leave it to your discretion on how aggressive you are in rescuing the captain. And as he goes to leave the bridge, the doors seal. And he looks around and everyone starts freaking out and they start all reporting. You know, Spock, we have lost access to all our systems. All the doors are closed. And then you hear the provider's voice up there saying, Well done, your ingenuity in getting here is brilliant. We will allow you to watch. And they basically give a slight description of what's been happening, that there's going to be a match, and that their captain has bet their freedom, basically, on this match. And they activate the view screen and allow them to watch. I just realized that this episode is awfully similar to the Gorn episode of another really powerful species kidnapping two different races to see whether they're worthy and making them fight. It's it's interesting how often Star Trek likes to do that. It's kind of scary because it's probably true. We'd do the same thing, I think, if we found inferior aliens. But anyway, so he fights and Kirk... Puts on a pretty good show. I actually really liked it. He fights this really cool gladiator pit fight where, to describe it, there's a symbol. It's kind of like a triangle in the middle and then a symbol of like three lines coming through the triangle to the corners of the of the field, breaking it up into three fields. Now, the ground is yellow on most of it and green, I think, where Kirk was. So Kirk is told he cannot leave the green area. So he has these thin lines he can move. He has the triangle in the middle and these thin lines to each corner. And the three guys cannot enter the center or leave their corners to step on his color. But they have to fight him from there. So they all have different weapons and nets and long spears. And it's kind of cool. I really like it. It was a very creative way to do a gladiator pit match. And I liked it. I thought it was really cool. Now, of course, Kirk wins because Kirk is the hand-to-hand fighting champion. Nobody beats Kirk except maybe Spock. But, um, yeah, he wins and all the thralls, basically the providers say they will keep their word and they're going to train them up and that the Enterprise is free to go. Now, I find it personally very interesting that this doesn't come up more often because I feel like this would be a big issue for the Federation and also opportunity. Like, these brains are super smart seem to have tech far beyond us like why is the federation not coming sending other ships out to be like hey just looking for an update on your progress what's going on but nothing i don't think it ever comes up ever again games of triskelion but that's i i should stop getting mad about that because that's a lot of star trek a lot of star trek has cool ideas and one-off things that maybe might get referenced one day in the future but probably not i don't know I hope a lot of this stuff comes back. Like, I'm really enjoying Lower Decks as a show because it basically is a show about referencing all these old stories, which I really like. I like the idea of ships going around and seeing all the universe again. But anyway, thanks for listening. Sorry about the sniffles. My nose is... I ate a lot of chili before this. I probably shouldn't have done that because now it's got my nose all fired up. But thank you for listening. I'm going to record the next episode, which is called A Piece of the Action, which are. I'm looking forward to seeing how this is going to work. I think this is a weird alien world episode and not a holodeck episode because they don't really exist in the original series yet, but this feels like it's going to be the precursor to most of the holodeck episodes we're going to see later. Bye for now. I'll see you all in the next one.